Um, as you can probably see, Pastor Tim is not here today. Uh, he is actually doing his uh, men's mentorship retreat. This is their last meeting of the semester of, or of their of the year, really. Um, and it's cool that they, they got to go do this. Um, so he's not going to be here. And Lacey and I are going to speak this morning. Yep. So good luck with that. Um, <laughs> just a fun fact before we start. I said this in the first, uh, the first service also. Um, you notice I'm holding the handheld and Lacey's wearing the headset. Does anybody know why that is? My, my head's... Hector, you called it, man. My head's too big for the headset, Mike, just so y'all know. It makes me feel good. My head's too big. It's awesome. All right. Well, on that note, let's, uh, let's jump into what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're actually going to be talking about um, the death and resurrection of Christ and, and how, you, how we see it throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament. Um, I think we would all agree that the death and resurrection of Christ are, are huge. They're very, it's very important that we know about this and we understand it. And um, there's, there's countless prophecies. Well, we can count them, but there's a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament about this, about the death, death and resurrection of Christ that Jesus fulfilled completely, all of them. Um, and what's cool about that is it, is it confirmed his identity and it confirmed his power here on earth. And that's important, but we're not going to talk about that. And then, when he was raised from the dead, he actually gained victory for all time over death, hell, and the grave, mm -hmm. which is also very important, and we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but what we are going to talk about are the, the consequences of these things, like, like the spiritual importance of his death and resurrection and how we can apply that, and some, some physical examples that are given in the Bible about this. Um, Paul talks about it in all of his letters. He writes about death and resurrection of Christ. So we know it's a central theme. We know it was important to him. And so we want to go through some of these verses and some of these books um, that, that he talks about. Um, let's, let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you gave us this word and that we can share this. And I, I just pray that, that, that as we share, that there would be understanding, that we communicate properly, Lord, what you want us to say, and that your Holy Spirit would be all, all over it. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump right into this. this we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for the, our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we see, we know Paul studied the scriptures. We know he knows the prophecies. We, he, you know, like I said, that's a whole other sermon. But he's saying, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance was the, that Christ died and that he was raised again. This is very important. He said it himself. Romans 1, 4 through 5, and he's talking about Jesus here, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. There's a lot in that verse, I know. But I want to point that out. He's talking about the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, and that through that, through him, we can speak to the Gentiles, the non-Christian people, anyone out there, we can further the gospel story through this. And this is right at the beginning of Romans. He's preaching, he's writing to the Romans, the Roman church, and they're right there in Rome. They're, they're, um, they're in the thick of it with Gentiles. Um, it just shows how important this, 
subject, death and resurrection, was for the spread of the gospel. Um, and First Corinthians fifteen twenty two says, "For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive." And that's kind of our central theme: is that we want you to see that through Christ we're all made alive. So there's a couple physical examples in scripture that we think of immediately when we think about death and resurrection. So we want to talk about those a little bit. Um, The first one is communion. So Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we know through the Old Testament, God required a sacrifice. He, ex- he required that spotless lamb of atonement for sin. And Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. The timing of his death at Passover was not a coincidence. So he fulfilled everything that was required through the law to become that perfect sacrifice that was needed. And he laid, before his crucifixion, he laid the foundation for communion. So he took the time with his disciples. He sat with them and showed them and taught them how to remember his death and why he was doing it. And to a Jewish person, this was, Passover was something that was super important to them. It was something that they remembered every single year. They remembered what God had brought them out of, what God had delivered them out of. And so Jesus, we see that he's connecting this with his death in their minds. That's a very, very um, vital thing that he was connecting it, that they could also, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Um, In Hebrews 10, it tells us that those who have been forgiven and made alive in Christ no longer need a sacrifice for sin. It has been done. Yes. So um, we are going to do communion today together at the end of service, and we want to remember that. We want to be in remembrance of who he is and what he has done for us. I love this because um, it reminds me of something my mom would tell us when when uh, she was little and they would do communion at her church, her mom, my grandma, every time would cry, like just tears, like flowing. And uh, you asked her why, my mom mom was over here, I'm looking at her, sorry. (laughs) Um, She asked her why and she said because she remembered what Christ did for her. And and my grandma was a powerhouse. Grandma Margie was no joke. When it comes to to preaching the word and speaking to people about Jesus, she, she didn't hold back. But for her to to in communion, to, to, for it just to touch her that much every time. It just, it, it shows us how important it is, I think. And that through his resurrection, we now have life, right. you know, and we can see this in scripture. Jesus was already teaching in these terms and in these ways. In John six thirty five, he said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes, he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's a pretty powerful statement. (laughs) Never be hungry, never thirst. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Another thing that we see in scripture, another example of this, um, and this one is really cool because it's it's literally acts it out, but it's baptism, water baptism. And um, before Jesus' death and resurrection, they did baptism, but it was more for like ritual cleansing, like it was to to cleanse yourself. And um, John baptized people into repentance, but Jesus was the fulfillment of this, and we see how he changed it now, when we are baptized in water, we're identifying with him in his death and resurrection. It's really cool. 
Yes. So we'll read together Colossians 2, 12 and 13. It says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So there we see it again. We're being made alive with Christ through this baptism, you know, through the, the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. And baptism is an outward showing that we're dying to ourselves and then being resurrected in Jesus. It's a symbol of an inward commitment that we've already made to him in our hearts. And if our hearts have been changed, which we know through scripture that we're a new creation, like we are made new, we're a new creation in that. So this is an outward symbol of that and our hearts do begin to change over time. Um, one really um, powerful baptism story that has stuck with me for many, many years. Um, I heard it probably in my late teens, early 20s, and um, I was just listening to a service like this from a church in like North Carolina. I don't even know what church it was. Um, and it was a man coming and telling a testimony of a mission trip that he had been on. And he was a, a businessman in the church, and so he was somebody who always felt like his personal gifting or assignment from the Lord was to fund trips but not to physically go on the trips. But for whatever reason, on this particular trip, he kept feeling like he should go, but he's asking the Lord, like, I don't really have very much to provide. They were going to be digging wells and using huge, like, construction-type equipment that he didn't have experience with. And so he's like, okay, Lord, I'm just I'm going to go. I don't really know why I'm there, you know? And um, so he went on this trip, and they're there for many days getting the water ready, digging the well, and then when they get water, they have a big celebration service where they call the village in. And the chief of that village came in. And they, you know, of course, the Christians use this as an opportunity to share the gospel message because this is ultimately, yes, we want to provide water for them. But we know if you have this water, you will never thirst again, right? So um, as they're about to start, the chief comes up to this man, the businessman that had gone on the missions trip. And he said to him, who are you? And the guy's like, what do you mean, who am I? Like, I'm Jack. Hi, nice to meet you, whatever. <laughs> um, and he's like, no, who are you? Like, you appeared to me in a dream. I've been waiting for you. You came to this village and came to me and told me about a man that will save my life. And so immediately he tells him the message of salvation. And like, I know who you need to meet. His name is Jesus. So he tells him. And um, so then he said, you know, so they, they talk together, and um, then toward the end of the day, he's like, well, you're going to come back with me to my house, right? And so he's like, okay, let's go to your house, you know? And um, they go to the house, and they pray over the house, and um, they help him. They tell him how to rid his, his space of idols and different things, and they're talking to him about the things in his life and praying over his house. And they go to leave, and he said, no, no, you can't leave yet. In my dream, you take me down to the water and put me in the water, and it cleanses me. And so it's just such a powerful picture of the, that Jesus, like, he's serious about this, you know, and it's a real act of um, submission to him and, and dying to ourselves and then being made alive in Christ. So 1 Peter 3.21 
says, and this water symbolism, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So both of these examples that we've talked about are physical. They're physical examples, acts that we can participate in through our own will um, and action, but we cannot discount the spiritual aspect of either of them and what's happening. So with communion, we're spiritually partaking of the body and blood of Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 11 says that we, it gives instruction to examine ourselves carefully before we partake. Um, and I believe that's because it's a spiritual act that's taking place. Something spiritual is occurring when we take in communion. Otherwise, it wouldn't say that when you just eat bread and eat a grape, you know. Um, and then the same with baptism. So we're acting his death and resurrection and spiritually pledge, pledging ourselves to worship and obey him, giving our will over to what his will is. In the first service, we didn't know who was going to cry first because <laughs> we both cry while we talk. And um, it was you. Yeah. I went. I'm going to cry too, though. Um, and you, you pointed out something funny, not funny, but about Paul and the way oh, he, yeah. he would cry. Yeah. I, yeah, I shared that just two weeks ago when I was reading the scripture. We've been reading it together. But, um, um, well, no, I don't know what I was reading. Anyway, because we've been reading the Gospels. <laughs> I was reading somewhere in Paul's letter. It was the Bible. And he, the Bible. He says that through many tears... I talk to you, and it was just really encouraging to me because yeah. I'm like, that's really powerful because I do. That is one thing that I try and communicate, but I often cry. So I was like, Lord, oh. We're in good company. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> so what's cool um, is Paul takes it a step further when he's talking about the concept of dying to self. So we, we in communion, we remember Christ's death and resurrection in, in uh, his death and what he did for us. In baptism, we, we literally do it like it's action. You're going under, you're coming back up. Um, he takes it a step further though, dying to self in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's still talking about Christ's death and resurrection here, but he's talking about how we die to ourselves so we can have his life in us. Um, and it, it makes it to where our wills are no longer as important as his. And this is really tough for some people. I, it's tough for me sometimes when I have to lay down my will, my desires, for what he wants. And I don't think he's saying that you have to lose all your desires. I think he puts desires in you, but we have to submit to his will. Um, and I, I remember hearing um, my, my niece, Gianna, she, when she was about three years old, she's what, 13 now? Good Lord, it's ridiculous. Three years old, uh, my mom was actually with her, and, and she was doing something something naughty, and, and Nana told her, you can't do that, don't do that, Gianna. And she said, but I want to do it. And Nana said, no, sometimes you, you don't get to do what you want to do. Sometimes you can hurt other people, or she, you know, she tried to help her and teach her a little bit. And Gianna looked at her and said, but Nana, I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> And it's like, how do you argue with that? But you, I mean, this is us sometimes. We want to do what we want to do, and sometimes we don't let the Lord speak to us and, and obey him. Um, so it's something that we all need to, need to work on, to be crucified with Christ, to where we no longer live, and it's Christ through us. Yeah. 
So we haven't been completely clear about Paul's letters. He wrote about death and resurrection in every single letter, but in one, he doesn't specifically use those words, death and resurrection. Right, right. yeah. So um, we're going to go into Philemon here a little bit. Philemon is one of those books that some people look over sometimes or overlook sometimes. It's real short. It's just one chapter, but it has some really powerful um, concepts in it, and we're going to jump into it a little bit here. Um, I'll give you the backstory. Um, we've, from the letter, we can kind of extrapolate some of these facts about what's happening. Uh, Philemon was actually a wealthy Roman citizen who got saved under Paul's ministry, and now he has house churches, and he, he's doing a lot for the ministry in uh, Colossae. And we find out that he had a, a slave named Onesimus, um, and a lot, of, a lot of these wealthy Romans had slaves, but um, his, his slave did something. We don't know what it was. Onesimus did something wrong and ran away. We don't know exactly what it was. We know he ran away and that, uh, that Philemon is not happy about it. He's, uh, he's mad. Um, but it turns out that, that Onesimus ran where he ran was where, where the city where Paul was imprisoned at the time. Um, and he got together with Paul. And I think, I think Onesimus went to, to Paul because he knew Paul had influence over Philemon. And he was trying to get out of trouble. That, that may be, it doesn't say that, but I think that's, that's probably what it was. But in, in, in him doing that, he talks with Paul, and Paul leads him to the Lord, which is really cool. And now Paul actually talks about him as a son in this book, in Philemon, this letter. Um, so now he's, Onesimus has been saved. He's, he's ministering with Paul, helping Paul out. And Paul writes this to Philemon. Uh, in one fifteen and 16, he says, For perhaps he departed, Onesimus departed, for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Uh, this is very countercultural in this time. This, um, this didn't happen, really. Um, Paul's saying, forgive Onesimus for what he did and treat him as a brother instead of a slave, instead of a servant. Um, and what he writes next, the next couple verses, is just amazing to me. And he, he doesn't mention Jesus' death and resurrection, but look what he says. Now I'm going to cry. Philemon one seventeen eighteen. So if you consider me a partner, and this is genius. Paul was a really smart dude, guys. He, in the beginning of Philemon, he he calls Philemon a partner. He says he 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 talks. He like kind of flatters him and says, "You've done all these things. We're so thankful for you that you've refreshed the saints. That you had a house church. It's so awesome." And now he says to him, "If you call me a partner, welcome him." Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. He doesn't mention Jesus' death and resurrection. He's, he's acting out the concept here, guys. This is Paul who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to kill Christians, to imprison any Christians he could find. He wanted to stomp out this sect that they called it. They wanted to stomp out th these people who were followers of Christ. And Jesus met him on the road. And um, now he knows that Jesus, through his sacrifice, he charged all sin to him. He said, charge it all to me through his death. And through his resurrection, he makes us alive. Mm -hmm. 
and he gives us power. And now he's seated at the throne. And Paul knows this. He says he's seated at the throne, and he's in constant mediation for us, for me, for Paul. It's amazing. Um, in 2 Corinthians, he says, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and 19, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to think about that. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not counting them against them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Through Jesus, God reconciled the world, all of us, to himself. He didn't count our sins against us. Now Jesus is our righteousness. And Paul steps into this role in this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, and he literally acts it out. He literally lives what Jesus did instead of just teaching about it. And he had to have complete and total faith in the reconciliation of Jesus to be able to even do this, to, to live this out. You've got to have complete faith in what he did. And he knows, he knows that through Jesus, we're family. We can call each other brother, no matter what our past is. First Corinthians 11, one says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So he's literally saying, I'm going, I'm doing what Jesus did. You guys do it too. And I said, the idea that those two, that Philemon and Onesimus could be reconciled as brothers in Christ instead of master and slave is not, it was not culturally, culturally correct. Philemon could have had him beaten. He could have had him imprisoned. But it echoes the fact that we're all made new creations. Philemon's a new creation. Onesimus is a new creation through salvation. They both have died to their old self. And they're made new. So in, through God, our value is not determined by master-slave. It's not determined by race, gender, class, title. We all share in the same grace of God. Mm-hmm. We all have the ability to minister that reconciliation to Christ and help others become alive in him. Um, Deb, will you come? And we can start passing communion as well. So I shared this a couple of weeks ago in our morning huddle um, with our volunteers before service, but I wanted to share again. Um, I was recently reading in the book of Luke, and there was a verse that I know I've read, I've heard taught, but it just like jumped out to me in a new way, so I wanted to share that with you guys. Um, It's a story about when the teachers of the law and the chief priests were basically trying to trick Jesus. They just felt like, okay, guys, we have to just listen closer. We have to ask more questions. There's going to be a moment where he trips up, like where he says something that we can catch him on. So in this particular case, they sent spies in to ask him questions, and they stayed within earshot so that they could hear what's going on. And the, these, these men that went in with clear motives said to him, what about paying taxes? Are we to pay taxes? You know? And so Jesus says to them, well, show me, show me that coin, bring it to me. So he says, um, whose image and inscription is on this coin? And they say, Caesar. So he says, okay, then pay to Caesar. What is Caesar's? And to God, what is God's? And so I've always heard this and looked at this in a way of we honor 
our governing authorities. We want to pay our taxes. We want to be good citizens and just, you know, display God. Um, But this day, I read it as whose image and inscription is on that. Then pay to Caesar what is his, but pay to God what is God's. And so recognizing that and knowing like we are all made in his image and we all through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have his inscription on us. And so we can give to God what is God's and then we can partner with God to bring others into the ministry of reconciliation and say, you know what? I see the image that's on you. I see the inscription that's on you. I'm going to give to God what is God's. And we can be a part of building his inheritance and and Jesus and what he did through his death and resurrection. Um, And die to ourselves, you know, and be ministering just as Paul did, like dying to our own desires and our own ways and things like that. So, yeah, that's, that's the ministry of reconciliation. That's what it is.